0: We're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Philippians, our joy of series. And uh, this is the word of God from Philippians, third chapter, verse 12 through chapter four, verse one. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join other, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with peers, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm. In the Lord, dear friends, the joy of perfection. I don't know about you, but talking about perfection or being perfect does not give me much joy. The word and the potential conversations about perfection make me real nervous. Perfection is even an offensive word because I'm not perfect and I can't be in my world even if I were to be perfect, would taint it and me and with its imperfection. Perfection scares me because I realize that you, with all of your promises, cannot and will not be perfect for me or to me. In my need of me, you will not be perfect. You will fail me and let me down. Perfect. Perfection is a dangerous word. But in this passage in Philippians, it is the only word in our only hope of joy in our imperfection. Joy when we know that we have yet to get there. Joy when we know there is a goal of perfection. Joy when we know that there is a Lord and Savior who is perfect and perfecting. Well, your scripture starts out with Paul saying, not that I have already obtained this in verse 12, and I apologize for not putting the other scriptures, but I'm going to read from verse 10 that comes right ahead to tell you what he's talking about. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain The resurrection from the dead. Paul, what is Paul talking about? Attaining. He is talking about his belief in Christ. He's talking about his faith. He's talking about his practice of the faith. His hope in life. The salvation offered by Christ. The change of his heart of sin to a heart that is sanctified. That those things promised by Christ through the Holy Spirit, he has yet to attain. He has yet to get it. To have it all. He has yet to have it all together to be settled and being righteous enough or believing enough or being transformed by the gospel enough. He says this then, I have yet to attain it. Look with me again at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not might consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As far as his knowledge and application... Of, of Christ's perfect sacrifice and perfect perfecting redemption. The Apostle Paul is saying, Yes, the one who is writing this scripture to you has yet to get it all. And he lives in the joy of knowing that he has yet to get there. Why? Because it avoids a false hope of self, which can lead to looking to yourself and in hope instead of the perfection offered in Christ. For outside of Christ, there is sorrow and a deceptive and false hope of getting better. And he calls those who have settled in feeling like they have attained a perfection, a maturity, he calls it, that upholds them and comforts them, and that they have arrived spiritually, that they can rest in their perceived okayness of themselves. He says this in verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, that view not having attained it. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now I want you to recognize here that Paul is being fairly sarcastic about people who call themselves or consider themselves mature. He is talking about people who come to places or spots or a place in their lives where they see themselves as having arrived. It's like... Seeing yourself as a, a, a full-grown grown tree that, that sits and waits. You're just sitting there waiting to get the fruit of the maturity that you have. Not that people feel like they've already produced all they could or should be, but they kind of rest in the togetherness and the good planting of themselves and their lives. That They are in the perfect place to be all they can be. They look at who and how and what they have already attained and think that their minds and hearts and lives are full grown. Perfect, if you will. Perfect enough to be pleasing to themselves and God. And Paul is saying to those who believe they are mature. My hope is that God will show you that you aren't. And that's good and that you should be in your maturity. If you're a truly mature, mature, he says, and not that you would say, your life would say, I have not yet attained it. But you can't and, and should not rest in the fantasy of your present attainment or, or self-righteousness and, and what you have attained. He's saying, keep going. Keep striving or else the joy of perfection that comes only by trusting and finally being changed by Christ Jesus himself, that will not be yours. As a matter of fact, follow me as someone who has yet to get there and be all that Christ has designed and desires for us. Not only in the false hope of ourselves do we fail to rejoice in perfection offered by Christ alone, but when we have false hope in our senses... We fail to enjoy that imperfection and looking to Christ's perfection. Look with me at verse 18 here. For as often, for I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. Paul is saying there are those who are kept from moving toward the joy of perfection in Christ because they are deceived by their very senses that they have arrived. They have kind of rolled up all of what they have gotten for themselves and how people make them feel or their stuff that makes them feel and they kind of roll it up into, into one big piece of drug or, or mash it into, into a nice piece of worldly crack and they kind of smoke it. Paul, that they actually think they are close to being heavenly or godly because of the way it makes them feel. They feel good. This must be it. This is what it means by God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. They are high on life as if, as if this life and all they have to get out of it has caused them to, to feel perfect. But that's just it. Paul weeps like any of us for a brother or sister that is on drugs and is killing themselves, fooling themselves and and living in the moment of the good feelings and, and and think this is it. Paul says this, that their destiny is destruction. Now he is referring to people who have gained much on their false doctrines and so-called wise thinking or brilliance. And they're getting high on their supposed rightness and the wealth that follows. They have grown confident in what is just a sensual feeling and not truth or reality. What Paul wants to ask those then and, and those of us now who don't bow our knees and weep in our need for Christ and faint and cry for help in God as those who are yet to give their believer and unbeliever. What are you smoking? What are you thinking about? Because it's got you thinking you're okay. It's blinding your heart and your eyes to your utter need of Jesus. I mean, I've seen this. Over and over again as a pastor, I can see it myself and some, I see it in other pastors that have fallen in sin. And I see believers who, who you know, they come across as like real mean to other people. You know, they, they have been smoking their own product. You know, they kind of just lighten up on the goodness of their lives over and above others. And they're kind of just walking around in this cloud thinking, we're okay. We're there. My life is Awesome. And this is how unbelievers fall into the same trap. Life just feels good. No rules. You are your own God or, or, or better yet, God has just kind of set up everything for you. And now you're the man. You know, you're doing it. Things are working out. Paul says, says to those deceived by the self and the senses, wake up. You're not there yet. You're imperfect. You're missing a perfecting goal. I had this recent situation in my life. It's not recent because it's a problem I've struggled with. Struggle with like dealing with money and and balancing it and understanding it. You know, I I'm the type of person, I don't like to see what's in my bank account. I just like to... Just like to go, you know, hopefully Kelly can balance it out. And, 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 and recently we kind of took some steps and I had the feeling like I finally reached a place of maturity in our money and, and felt you know i was just living you know we're doing all right we just kind of riding the train on the well placed uh, and hard work we've done to kind of feel like we can just do what we want to do. we have to watch this just mark by not needing god much in, in the times like remember you're, i don't know about you but when you're struggling or or trying to make ends meet man i was praying every day lord help us but, you know, here we are. We, we kind of doing a little better. Got things here. Got a little savings doing this. You, you just kind of forget that, you know, maybe we should pray about this stuff. You know, and, and you get to a place where you are confident, kind of close your eyes and just riding and spending when, when you want to live in the blind bliss security. You know, just going around. I just remember buying here, eating out over here, no longer trying to check the budget to work out. And let me tell you something. It wasn't about money. It was about checking this and whether this was in the right place. But the heart messed up stuff. I just kind of felt like I was there, you know, I was kind of ahead. You know, performing well over there, praises, hair, going over there. I mean, it's just awesome. Not pressing in for more Jesus or more hope. Just, just living in the hope of the senses. Man, it feels good when you go to the store and put a new pair of pants on. Feels good. You just kind of forget. Got to go a little crazy. It feels good when you give them the card. Boop, boop. Go, accept it. It just feels good. The senses can fool you into thinking everything's good, but it turns out that you're kind of buying and living according to what you could not truly afford. Not only is that about bank account management being sick and needing to be addressed, though the purchase made us feel otherwise, our hearts were sick. We weren't there. And it was a rude awakening. And Kelly said, baby, we need to sit down and talk. And when she says, baby, we got to sit down and talk, means ain't no more money in the bank. And we still got three days to go. It means I'm getting quarters out the change thing to go get milk for the baby. That's what it means. It's a rude awakening. Wow, I'm sick. I, I thought I was there. Things were ordered. I had it managed. But I, I needed more Jesus. Now think about our own lives, how the order and security of your lives can fool you. Like the mature tree, many of us are well planned and planted. We've got our money and our jobs and our kids and our wives and our husbands all in the right place. We believe others should and could look at us and only hope to attain and be like we are. We we look at our lives and our hard work and our self-positioning in our minds, even in our Christian ethics and works and disciplines, and think, man, things are rolling pretty good. We have arrived. We're in the promised land. Well, at least it feels like that. But it's a rude awakening when you realize you've simply managed your life You've simply managed your sin and your issues well enough. We've learned and are resting not in our perfection here, but in our ability to perfectly manage our imperfections. It's easy to believe and live in the hype of your own glory and product of your life. Paul's saying, snap out of it. Wake up. Sober up, don't you see destruction and disappointment and humiliation is the impulses? Don't believe the hype, rest and rejoice in this. You are not there yet, regardless of how you think and feel and others may make you think or feel. But if this is just the message, it's just hopeless. It's aimless. Okay, we're not there yet. Thank you. Thanks a lot. But Paul is saying he communicates that that the reason we're not there yet is because there is a goal that we have yet to be. Paul communicates this to those who have yet to attain perfection, that there is joy only when we live in light of the goal. Paul says that there is a goal and that goal is perfection in and by Christ against something that he or anyone else has yet to attain. With that as the goal, he must strive ahead because his perfection is before him and ahead of him. The goal is not behind him or beside him or in him or according to anyone else. It is ahead. So he calls others with the goal of striving ahead. Look with me again at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now let's explore the analogy Paul is using here. The runner who runs to a goal as if he or she has yet to get there, a good runner doesn't lose ground or potential, you know, by looking back. Um, It's interesting when you see these runners in the Olympics and it's a sprint, very rarely, unless the person's just burning, very rarely do you break out of your form to look back or to look over. And what Paul is saying is that you, when you do that, you lose ground or potential, looking to the back or to the side. But you press ahead. You work to get across the finish line toward the goal. That there's hope ahead, not behind, or there's not hope in looking how far you've brought yourself or or how far ahead you are than anyone else. But he says you press unto and onward toward the goal. But let me tell you, it's not directional it's not sequential if you will it's it's as much as it's about the goal which is jesus's perfect perfection and perfection perfecting and perfection so what he's saying is he's not saying don't look back in your life at what god has done he's not saying don't look back and see how far the lord's brought you that would still be looking toward jesus What he's saying is don't look at things that cause you not to see Jesus as the thing you need, as the goal you're striving toward. Not to be distracted or moving your heart or mind from the goal which is Christ. And I think this analogy of pressing to the goal is fitting in the way and the why we live our everyday lives. For many of us tend to focus on what we have done. And are tempted to look at the history of our accomplishments or round back at others to measure ourselves or to assess ourselves. To see how good or bad you are compared to everyone else. Looking at the other runners saying, okay, I I can see where you can, can. Some of you, you are so good at comparing and contrasting your life to everybody else. Consumed. With contrasting your disciplines or the way you run your home or your behavior or your piety with everybody else. And sadly, your skill in driving, comparing yourself to everybody else instead of looking toward the goal is a mark that you don't really have Christ's perfection as a goal in your life. On the other hand, some of you... (laughs) Or despairing where you are, where, where the course is now. I, you know how many times I've heard Christians say this. They say, man, I wish I could go back to the way it was in college. Or, man, I really wish I could go back to that Bible study I had. Or man, I really wish I was like that back then. And Paul is saying if the goal is Christ's perfection then the struggles and issues that you're having in your life the valley experiences the desert experiences they are simply a road to the goal of Jesus. That the suffering and heartache and hard times are not God playing a game. But if Christ is your goal it's part of a valuable race. Some of us Uncovered or discovering in themselves some kind of sin or shortcoming? With Christ as a goal, it's part of the road. Paul says, don't be discouraged. Press in and on. Don't run back or away from what God may be doing in or bringing you in light of the goal. What does this mean? That brokenness is not the same thing as being stalled spiritually. Sometimes when you, like like I did about that money, man, I, I have never, I mean, it's been a long time since I felt that humiliated and broken and just, just simply consumed with the fact that, hey, I'm still really messed up. You know, when you come to those places in your lives, it's not the time to look back. And wish you were the way you were back then. But now brokenness coming to a place where you see your issues are a, is a motivating factor to run toward the one who can help you alone. Some of us have yet to be broken. I pray, like Paul says here, that God would show you otherwise. Otherwise. That you would see your issues. I'm your pastor and I see some of you. Some of you are very... You're perfect. You're, you're, you're uptight. Sometimes I have to ask, what has been and is the goal of perfection? Is it manage lives? Is it getting it in order? Is it looking not looking so bad? If your goal is not looking so bad, then Christ is really not... You're not desperately running for him and in need of him. You and I are encouraged here to look to the goal that is Christ's perfection. Or you may be called, you may fear to look back and regret or despair of how far you haven't come. Let me say this. Some of our lives are filled with scars and hurts and failures and in, in our lives, the, the, uh, lives, there is no goal of perfection. you think, "Why go on?" When I look back at my life, I, the road I've run has been hard and it's been terrible. Some are in sobering periods. Maybe you're in pain from, from some recent mistake and it's easy to just take a hit on life's morphine. Looking for a way to, to feel good about yourself, by yourself, to perfect your situation in and by yourself. To deal with a life that is coursed by abuse and neglectful parents or falling short. Every time Paul is saying, set a goal that is Christ in your failure. And you're hurt. Now the picture we get here, I want to reveal this, is not one of a well-trained Olympian. You know, the guy who's way ahead, I've seen this in the last Olympics. They're just kind of looking around, they got the hand up, like five feet from the thing. This is not the picture Paul is painting here. It's rather a picture of a thirsty person in a desert who sees the oasis that will save their lives. This is not a call to pull yourself together. It's not a call to run and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and and try to make Jesus your goal. It's about running in desperation and joy that there is someone with something in some place that will be perfection for your life. That there is joy when you know that Christ has agreed and will bring you there. What is Paul saying? Live in his perfection. Look back with me at verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then verse 18, for as often as I have told you, before and now say it again with tears many live as enemies of the cross of Christ and then and and, and Paul weep for those who live opposed to the thing that will change them and then in verse 20 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ and then look at verse 1 therefore my brothers you You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. What is Paul calling us to? To live now. To live today in the perfection that is Christ. To live according to His perfect sacrifice for our sins. To not be enemies of the cross, but look to the cross as our hope. To live in His perfect attainment of doing all that is righteous in our failure to. To live and have Him as the perfect Savior for imperfect but striving for perfection, people. That if you want perfection now, it is only found in being, as Paul puts it, found in being, found in one who is perfect now that Christ and his salvation that having Jesus as our Lord and Savior now in an imperfect world and imperfect bodies and imperfect morality is the only and perfect place for sinners like you and me. It's the perfect place for fallen and broken people. Something perfect something perfect is yours today for your perfection. Don't you realize He is the only perfect Savior? He effectively lived and died and rose again, a perfect Savior for you and me. That if you're failing and falling and fainting, even over the own morals you set, He's perfect for you. That, that if others are failing you, How this will let you down your husband, your wife, your friends, whoever else? He is a perfect Savior for you. That if you're successful and you're managing your life and your sin and perfectly all on wrong assurances and you're comparing and competing, he is perfect for you. That if you're high on your own stuff, high on life, he's perfect for you too. That if you're abused and hurt and scorned and broken, He is perfect. That because He is a Savior, Of humankind, press towards in desperation and even in some of your doubt, press toward this perfect person and Savior Jesus. Press towards him through the offers of his perfect grace. Don't you see what's before you? I'm I'm like, okay, I want perfection. I, I want this Jesus. Where do I get this perfect grace? And the Bible tells us that in his word, Jesus conveys his grace to us. That we're called to eat of it. And be changed by it. That we called, that believers are called to this Lord's table to be transformed by the graces of it. That as you come in a community of faith, as the Holy Spirit works in your friendships and relationships, that Jesus works a grace that is perfecting in you. In our new members class, in our discovery class at Christ Central Church, whatever you call it, we we have this picture of maturity. And some of us have have felt that that maturity means as you grow spiritually, you kind of need less Jesus, right? The cross gets smaller because your behavior is changing. You're not as desperate for Jesus. You don't have to pray as much. You don't have to read as much scripture. You kind of got it together. But the picture of maturity that we give is it's a crescendo that as you grow in your faith, the cross actually gets bigger, (laughs) When you are mature, you actually realize you need more Jesus. That as you mature, you realize how utterly sinful and desperate you are. And you so, so as a result, there's more scripture reading. There's more prayer. Not because you're trying to manage and pull your life together, but because you realize without those things, your life would be lost. More. Jesus. You are and will be changed by his perfect perfect grace. And in doing so, and in submitting, and having our lives saved and rescued by a, a perfect Savior, do you realize when you, when you taste his grace now in his scripture, in his Lord's Supper, in his communion with other believers, it's a compelling and motivating foretaste of his perfecting of you and your world by his power. Look with me at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by His by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Your life, your sin, your struggles, your body, your world, your lack of control has a consummating hope. A hope and guarantee of perfecting because Jesus is not only savior, but he's a Lord who comes and scripture teaches will return with a correcting and transforming power. In which He, having all control, will change us to be perfect. No longer to struggle with sin. No longer to struggle with the issues of this world. That in his second coming to the earth, what we have only gotten a foretaste of in the way he already changes our lives, he brings heaven's complete transformation to you and your body and your world and everything that fallen. He brings heaven to you and he brings you to heaven. A perfect you and a perfect world. And for that hope, we get giddy. We get desperate. We want it so badly in our fallenness. We, we sing songs of worship and we write music and, and, and we sing with our mouths and, and we cry and we faint for Jesus and, and we bow in honor and need and prayer. And we tell and encourage one another in this frenzy of Jesus' promise, perfection of us in this world that we will actually live and suffer and die for. Knowing there's only one hope for all that is shattered and broken and tainted. And that's Jesus Christ. Pastor told me a story. A friend of his who's a a pretty prominent pastor in his city. Has a lot of respect in the city. Has a lot of power. Has a lot of ability. A lot of honor. Was invited to go on a overseas um, diplomatic trip with Jesse Jackson, and this kind of honorable pastor, you know, big church, goes there and, and and he said, you know, originally like, man, I can negotiate this. These people, you know, I'm I'm cool. I'm a pastor. I know what's going on. I'm just going along with my brother Jesse, you know. He said when they got there, he could feel. The weight and the heaviness. When he got there, he could feel like, okay, these people don't like Americans too much. And he said he just remembered how they'd be walking through the street. And when they saw Jesse, they would move by and let him through. And he said there was a point when, there were points when he was walking through this crowded place and this hostile thing and and all his honor and all his glory and all the things he had back in America, it wasn't there and he could just see Jesse's head running ahead and these people would come in and and he said the only thing he could say was Jesse! Hey, Hey Jesse! And then, you know, it'd be like, well, what's going on? And then he would get separated again. And they were like, well, who are you? Jesse! And he would just keep Jesse's little head right ahead of him. And he would call out his name. And his whole goal would be to work toward getting closer and closer. Because he recognized that this man had the authority and honor and power to take him through and back home safely. But we don't cry out, Jesse. Our goal is to keep the name and person of Jesus before us. That in our own honor, in our own glory, He is the only one you can look to and call who's going to bring you through. He's the perfect negotiator of all your issues. He's the perfect diplomat for those whose citizenship is in heaven. He is the perfect savior and Lord. And he simply calls us to call him in desperation, separated from him with our sin and our issues and our problems and our brokenness. To call ahead, Jesus, Jesus, take me out of harm's way. Take me home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help our hearts to cry for Jesus. To realize we lost if we lose glimpse of his love for us. That we're not there yet. Help us find joy in his Perfection. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.